welcome everyone. Welcome online, those joining us online this morning. And I think Pastor Aaron is hosting online as well again today. But it's good to have you here. My name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at UDAC. Been here for a long time, but a really good time. Just before we look into God's Word, just something very brief to update you on. Um, most of you are aware that Pastor Solo resigned a, a couple months ago. And some of you are wondering, are we going to rehire that position? So let me just give you an update. Our elders, which is the biblical term for like leaders or overseers, want to take some time to just discern, Jesus, what would be next steps for us as a church? And so they've been praying about that. We're going to be talking about that again this week and in the weeks to come. And uh, Jesus, what would you have us do next? And then we will look to future hiring as needed in light of that. And so we would just encourage you to pray about that process. What are next steps for us as a church? We would encourage you to do that. Let me pray with you for a minute. Father, as we consider your word, we invite you to speak to us personally and deeply and intimately. And that's what you long to do by your spirit. We look to your word now, uh, enliven our minds. It says, help us understand it, help us personalize it. Three different times it's talked about like this in the book of Psalms. And so we invite you to do this now in a way that reflects you well, that exalts you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you have your Bible or your device, Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Matthew is the first book, the first uh, gospel, the first uh, historical biography of the life of Jesus. And we began a series of eight messages last week, and we're continuing on that again today. And it's based in, and it emerges from this text, Matthew 8. And as we begin to read, I remind you that this is the word of the Lord. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He's just finished feeding 15,000 or so people with a small amount of food that he multiplied. And after this miracle, they get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. After he had dismissed them, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land. We know from parallel texts, they're about three and a half to four miles in, which is about the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Um, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, that's about between three and six in the morning, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, why did you doubt? 
But when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those that were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you're the Son of God. So you're about to die. Your last breaths are coming here on this earth. And you're about to have your eyes opened in heaven. And you're granted, as you're taking those last breaths, the opportunity to reflect on your life. And what happens is, as a huge TV comes up screen in front of you, and a movie begins to play, and you realize right away, this is a movie based on your life. And the title, the credits are coming up, and the title of the movie is, What Might Have Been. What might have been. As I said, we've just begun a series of eight messages about going through life without water wings. And these are water wings, and there's other flotation devices that we often will put on kids until they learn to swim, which, of course, we encourage them to do very early in life. We're going to talk about stepping out of the boat and taking off the water wings. And the challenge that God has for each of us to take them off, to walk on the water, to go with Jesus and allow God, with God's help, to do what we could never, ever do on our own. And so we're asking this fall, you heard Brian's reference it earlier, what does it mean to choose to belong? What does it mean to choose to engage? To say, in my relationship with Jesus and as part of this church, what do those things mean? And so in verse 28 and 29, they see Jesus walking on the water, and Peter asks, which he didn't always do, and we're going to talk about that at one point in this series. He would often just jump, but this time he asked, and he said, can I come out and join you? And Jesus said, come. But the other 11 disciples just sat there and did nothing. What might have been? What might have been? John's grandmother died. And her husband, John's grandfather, called his daughter, John's mom, and said to his daughter, John's mom, I came across a bunch of old dishes in the attic, and I was going to throw them away, but I thought you might want to have them. John's mom went and picked them up, and she expected to open the box and just see some average dinnerware that perhaps had been used every day, but they weren't using it anymore, and they just stuck it up there just in case. But when she opened the box, to her surprise, she found some extremely expensive, handmade, irreplaceable china. John's mom had been part of that family for 20 years at that point and had never once seen these dishes. So she began to inquire, and she found out the story behind these dishes. Grandma had grown up in a very poor family, and she had been given this valuable china one piece at a time over the course of all her growing up years. And each time she would get a piece of china, 
she would carefully wrap it in tissue paper because she did not want to risk breaking it. And then she'd delicately place it in the box and wait to use it for a special occasion. The problem was, in all of Grandma's lifetime, that special occasion never came along even once. And she had never used this exquisite group of china even once. And she went to her grave with the greatest gift that she'd ever been given, unopened and unused. Whenever we receive a gift, we choose to respond in one of two ways. We either say, this gift is so valuable, it can't be risked. Or we say, this gift is so valuable, it must be risked. I have to use it. And every one of us, the scripture very clearly teaches, every one of us, without exception, has been given a gift or gifts by God. And he expects us to take the tissue paper off, to open the box, and to use it. And so the disciples are in the boat with their water wings on, and their story is very much along the lines of Grandma's story. They treasured safety over growth. They didn't want to be passed by. In the book of Mark, there's a parallel account of this Matthew passage. And in the book of Mark, it says that Jesus was about to pass them by as he was walking on the water. They didn't want to be passed by. They just wanted to be passed up. And they thought about the cost of getting out of the boat. And they were thinking things like this. I might fail. I might be embarrassed. I might not be adequate. The other people in the boat may laugh at me or criticize me. But what they did not contemplate was the cost of keeping their water wings on and staying in the boat. Someone has said that the price tag for staying in the boat and for keeping their water wings on can be summarized by one word, growth. I would add a second word, joy. When you stay in the boat and don't even try, you will not grow and you will sacrifice incredible joy that God will give you when you try. When you step out of the boat, when you take off the water wigs, there is a joy that attaches from doing what God has called you to do that is just not available if you're not available. We all love to see things grow. We love to be around growth, particularly in the spring and as we're in the harvest season now. But people love to plant gardens. I was in England just a few months ago. They're famous for their gardens over there. And we love our gardens too, and we love to watch things grow. My son, Sean, has some fairly significant carpenter skills that clearly bypassed me. And so he built for his wife, Tabea, some uh, garden beds earlier this summer. And my daughter-in-law, Tabea, posted an Instagram earlier this summer. There's a picture of her on the screen behind me right now. And here's what she wrote on Instagram. I love wandering past my garden multiple times every day. 
to check how my zucchinis are growing, wondering how many beans I'll get, and pick another bowl of kale leaves. Not so sure about that last one, but apparently she likes the kale significantly. And then here's how she concluded her post. I am blessed. I am blessed. She loves to see things grow. Growth brings blessing and joy. What about the newborn parents who have a little kid and the kid for the first time has moved from crying to saying their first word? The parents are so excited to see this growth, not thinking about the day when Junior will ask the word why 198 times in a row. But that day, they are excited because their child is growing. Blessing and joy. Or the person who gets their driver's license, and yesterday they were a pedestrian, and today they are a danger to everyone they know. (laughs) On the other hand, there are few things sadder than stagnation. There's few things sadder than just staying in the boat and keeping your water wings on. There's few things, like I said, like stagnation, unrealized potential, unfulfilled longing, not even trying. I saw this quote from a guy named Greg Lavoie. He said this, he calls stagnation the common cold of the soul. The common cold of the soul. An unopened gift. I've got this little gift box right here. And the name of this talk is an unopened gift. Can you imagine getting a gift like this and not opening it? Wonder what's in there? Feel the weight of it? Can you imagine getting a gift from someone like this and not even trying to open it or explore what might be inside? But some people do. And so Jesus gives, in another passage just a few chapters on, a wake-up call to people that have sat there and allowed the gift or gifts that the Spirit of God has seeded into their life to remain unopened. So turn over in your Bible or in your device to chapter 25 of Matthew. Let me read you a, a parable, which is a story illustrating a major truth. And there's often some secondary truth, but there's a major truth that the story will illustrate. Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 14. Jesus tells this story. He said, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who calls his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained more, two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. So Jesus said, there's this CEO, and the CEO in this passage is God himself. And he picks out three of his employees, of which he has many, and he gives these three employees an incredible gift, 
an incredible opportunity, something to entrust them with that they're never going to get in another lifetime. Vast sums of resources, and there's all kinds of debate about how much money this is, but a number of them that I looked at, one of them I came up with was uh, one person would estimate that a talent in those days was the equivalent of what a common laborer, so someone making, say, 17 bucks an hour, what they would make in a 15-year work span. It's a lot of money. Or what an if the five-talent five guy, what an average worker would make in 75 years. This is an incredible opportunity to take the initiative, and it says in the text, based on their ability and to test their skills. And so what will they do? And so the master gives them this opportunity. What will they do? And Jesus tells this story to illustrate how God gives us incredible opportunities based on the abilities and the gifts or gifts that he's seeded into our life. And he invites us to choose to belong and to choose to engage. Now I want you to notice a few things. In verse 16, it says the first guy and the second guy responded at once. There was no delay. When the master gave them this opportunity, when the master entrusted them with this stuff, when the master tasked them to do this, they responded at once. We're talking in this series about the idea of extreme discipleship, which involves responding to the master's voice, the master's opportunity at once. They do this because they do not want to take a chance of losing the opportunity of a lifetime. Everyone, the Bible clearly teaches in Romans, in Ephesians, in Corinthians, in different places, everyone who's a follower of Christ receives a gift or gifts, and we are expected to use those gifts. And so Peter says, Jesus, can I step out of the boat? And he does. And he's, we're to ask the same question and then do exactly what Jesus invites us to do with our mind, with our abilities, with the spiritual gifts he's put in our life, with our body, with our finances, with our resources, and with our will. Jesus cannot be Savior if he's not Lord. They go hand in hand. This is what he clearly expects. The third servant, unfortunately, takes this greatest opportunity he's ever going to get, and he buries it in a field. It says in verse 19, after a long time. So he's talking about the fact that one day he's going to return. The master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. One day, Jesus is coming back. The Lord of the gift is going to come back and settle accounts. And he is going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? In other words, for everyone that's a follower of Christ, there is a big performance review coming. A big one. Now, listen to me very carefully right here. Very carefully. Because this is what sets Christianity uniquely in a standalone way, apart from every religious system in the world, even the religion of the secular humanists, 
okay? They worship stuff too. They just don't get it. Everybody has a, a, a way they think, the way they process. Christianity is unique in this. Salvation is never based on something we earn. It's never based biblically on something we deserve, something we, if I do this or I don't do that, I'm going to receive salvation. It absolutely does not. So that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Salvation, think with me, is given to us at the beginning. In every other religious system, their idea is it will be given to them at the end. See how it's completely different? And if you're here and you have never given your life to Christ, he loves you exactly the way you are. He doesn't expect you to do a bunch of things and you somehow earn your way because it's impossible to earn your way into relationship with God. That is why Jesus came. He came to die in your place and on your behalf. And he offers salvation to us as an unmerited, unearned gift. This is what grace is. It's incredible news. Incredible news. And so if you've never given your life to Christ in this way, come and talk to one of us. There's going to be people at the front. Talk to me. We would love to point you to the Jesus that gave everything for you. So this text is not talking about salvation. It's talking about that which comes subsequent to salvation. We give our life to Jesus, we surrender our life to him, we receive salvation, then our relationship with Jesus launches, and he has given gift or gifts in our life that he expects us to use. He expects us to open the gift box and to use those gifts in service in the way he calls us to do it. And then there will be a performance review later. He will, like it says in verse 19, he will come back and settle accounts. It's interesting to me that, that this guy got out the shovel, the one that received one talent, and he buries it. And I've often wondered, and I don't know what his motivation totally was, but maybe it was kind of his passive-aggressive way of getting back at the master for not giving him more. And we like to focus on what other people seem to have given, given from Jesus, and we use that as this lame excuse that I'm not even going to try. And so God gives, it says in Scripture, he gives everyone at least one gift, sometimes multiple gifts, so maybe he gives one, maybe he gives two, maybe he gives four, maybe he gives five, whatever. But Jesus makes it absolutely clear that the level of giftedness is not what's important. What's important is have I used what he's given me? And so you will be gifted different than the next person. And it will not be an excuse at the performance review where you can say, well, uh, weren't you asking me to lead someone else's life? Or aren't you going to evaluate me based on someone else's gift? Those will not be the questions on that day. It's going to be, a settling of the accounts of what God put in your life. The third person, uh, the third guy, gave another reason for not using his gift. It says in verses 24 and 25, I was afraid. I was afraid. And we're going to talk more about fear later in this series because 
Peter became afraid when he took his eyes off Jesus. We're going to talk about that more later. Fear makes people disobedient to the calling of the master. Fear of being poor made Jacob deceive his dad. Fear made the Israelites not enter the promised land. Fear of suffering made the disciples run when they came to arrest Jesus. Fear made Peter Peter deny Jesus three times while Jesus was being falsely tried. And if you look underneath our sin, you will find fear. The fear that if I risk obeying God, he may not come through for me. Or something will come that I can't handle. You absolutely can't handle it. But he can. Notice the master's response. I'm going to read it to you in verse 26. To the guy that buried his talent. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. You wicked, lazy servant. He lets the, if you read the whole text again, he lets his char- the attack on his character slide, but he says to the servant, your life and what you do with it and what I've entrusted you with is very important. And so he's saying fear is not an excuse not to open the gift. The servant is not judged for fumbling the ball here. He's not judged for trying and not what we would call succeeding. What he is evaluated in light of this is for doing nothing. He doesn't steal the money. He doesn't embezzle the money. He has the money available for the master, the one talent when he comes back. He doesn't take the the talent and go out and blow it. He doesn't foolishly invest it. He just takes the money and buries it. And then some very, and this is very serious stuff. Jesus says, you wicked and lazy servant. Not talking about physical laziness here. Because you can be really busy, you can be a super hard worker, but still be this kind of lazy. John Ortberg says, this kind of lazy is the failure to do, to do what needs to be done when it needs doing, like the kamikaze pilot who flew 17 missions. That's a funny one. You'll, think, you'll, you'll catch that one in a second. I thought it was funny. Now, some of you were thinking... <laughs> Lighten up, Scott. Man, you're pretty intense. Give me a break. But the truth is this. Jesus comes down really hard when he comes back to settle accounts on this guy simply for doing nothing. So you're watching that video at the end of your life. You're taking your last breaths And the credits roll, and it's entitled, What Might Have Been. And the video begins to show all of what God might have done with your life if we had let him. What he might have done with our financial resources if we had been willing to be generous rather than selfish. 
Imagine what he might have done with our relationships if we had trusted him enough to be fully loving and truthful and to practice forgiveness both ways. Imagine what would have been done with our character if we dared to confess boldly our sin in an unreserved fashion and to say, I fully repent with Jesus' help of this sin. And Jesus, I'm all in with you. Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you help me to pursue holiness? Would you help me to pursue growth? There's one last thing that Jesus wants to impart to us, to remind us and help us understand. When he comes back to settle accounts in verse 19, and in verse 23, he says this, I am the Lord of the reward. I am the Lord of the reward. Because he says to the first two guys, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and join me in heaven. Now here comes the surprise. What he doesn't say, he says, you know, now that you doubled up here or whatever, you get to, in heaven, you get to live in this great condo and sit around doing whatever you want for the rest of eternity, just taking it easy. No, he says in that verse 23, you have been trustworthy with a few things. Now you will be put in charge of more things or many things. So I want you to erase from your mind this image that heaven is this gated, eternal community that's like a retirement village. That's not what it's like. It's not a place of unopened gifts. There'll be no unopened gifts like this in heaven. It will be so much better than here. I haven't preached on heaven for a while. I will again sometime. It will be so much better than here. You will be face to face with the only one who has ever loved you perfectly. The only one whose motives are absolutely pure. The only one who gave everything for you. And your response and my response will be to be just overwhelmed with awe and reverence. To be in the presence of holy God because of what Jesus did. And we will respond with worship, and we will serve. We were given these things to deal with. We're going to be given more responsibilities. And we will worship, and we will be productive, and we will serve. So let me, so like earth is kind of like a just, it's kind of like the warm-up place for what's coming. Well, so let me ask you some questions. What's the deepest dream God has given me? How much passion do I experience in daily life? When I'm about to take those last few breaths, what do I want my epitaph to say? How often do I take risks that are led by God, and that only he can empower. We like to play it safe. What are the things that only he can empower? If I had to name the one true thing that I believe God has set me on this earth to do, what would it be? 
what has the Lord of the gift given to me that I need to invest for the sake of the kingdom? Choose to belong. Choose to engage. If you're not sure what gifts you have, the best approach usually is just to say, I'm all in God, and then try. Okay, then just try. Um, there's spiritual gifts inventories on our website. If you go right on the home page, it's right there. You could click it and fill it out. Or you could go to the office and we'll give you one. Some of you may be sitting here thinking, well, Scott, if I was really honest with you, I'm a little depressed. Because from a human perspective, what I have to offer doesn't seem to count for too much. It's not very visible. It's not really dramatic like some of the things we see in Scripture. Jesus says this to you. There is absolutely no truth in that perspective. No truth whatsoever. That idea is a lie from the evil one. The reality is you are incredibly valuable, that Jesus died for you, that he has a call on your life. You matter to the kingdom of God, and he intends, he's a gentleman, he intends with your permission in that sense to make an eternal difference through your life. So Jesus said to Peter, come. And Peter came. 